always love seeing the kids. Rush out of here. Quick, Kyle's preaching. Get out of here. <laughs> really have a good time down there. Uh, it's standard uh, practice uh, in our society that when someone passes away, they generally pass down their inheritance to a close family member. Oftentimes, that is a spouse. If their spouse is deceased as well, then it typically goes to their children. And that's been uh, the case for thousands of years. We can trace this all the way back to Abraham. God promised Abraham in the book of Genesis that uh, his family would receive a land flowing with milk and honey. And once Abraham passed away, this inheritance was passed down from Abraham to his son Isaac, and then eventually Isaac's son Jacob, or otherwise known as Israel, and his family. This is not always the case, though. Luis Carlos de Naranja Cabral de Camara, a Portuguese, yeah, uh, excuse my pronunciation, uh, a Portuguese aristocrat selected random people from a telephone directory to be his heirs. The aristocrat uh, was a, a childish, t- childless uh, bachelor. Some of his beneficiaries were so shocked that they originally thought that it was a scam. On top of that, there's another uh, lady, Liana Helmsley, a billionaire New York City businesswoman, left a $12 million inheritance. Anyone know who she left this $12 million inheritance for? You're right along the same line. Her dog uh, named Trouble. At least uh, that's the information I got. Maybe it was a cat. Sounds like some of you guys maybe uh, knew this story. Uh, but a judge later decided that uh, should be re- reduced to $2 million. But still, $2 million for a dog. Uh, that is a, a, a bit, uh, excuse me, a ridiculous. Some of you guys may think, no, that's perfectly reasonable for a pet dog. But no, that's ridiculous. Uh, Nina Wang, a Hong Kong billionaire, signed over her fortune to a Feng Shui master because he promised her eternal life. Her estate was worth an estimated $12 billion. Her family later went uh, to court and put the Feng Shui master in jail where he spent 12 years of his life. Some of these people are absolutely crazy. Sometimes people uh, make crazy uh, decisions, and that involves people handling their inheritance and what they are going to do uh, when they eventually pass away. And today, we're, we're not going to talk about a crazy story about an inheritance, but today, uh, we will be talking about an inheritance, and it's an inheritance that is far greater than any inheritance anybody else has ever received in their life. And we'll be talking about this inheritance as we continue our study through the book of Ephesians. We just started last week. We covered the first 10 verses of the book of Ephesians. And throughout this series, as we cover these six chapters of Ephesians, kind of the theme behind these six chapters is living like a saint. You know, a saint, we, a lot of people reserve a saint for, you know, those really, really holy people, special people in the church. But a saint is simply a Christian. It's someone who is set apart from the rest of the world. And we as Christians, as Christ followers, we are indeed set apart from the rest of the world. And so you are a saint, gone with our old identities. And now you are a saint and we've got to live like a saint as well. And so Paul, he writes uh, this book of Ephesians to uh, the saints over at the city of Ephesus. And so if you have your Bibles, you can open up to the book of Ephesians, and we'll be spending all of our time this morning in uh, chapter 1. 
We'll be picking up right where we left off last week. We'll be picking up in verse 11, and we will close out uh, the chapter uh, this morning. So I'll go ahead and read uh, verses 11 and 12. And again, this is Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing this to the saints in Ephesus. In verse 11, Paul writes, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Now, can I be honest with you guys for a minute? I really, really struggled with these two verses, especially uh, verse 11 as I was dissecting it and and trying to come away uh, with what Paul was trying to tell to the saints at Ephesus. I spent over an hour just dissecting really verse 11 and 12 is kind of uh, joined with it. And whenever you're confronted uh, with a passage that is causing you difficulty, you're not sure what exactly the author is trying to say, what, what the author has been inspired by God to say, I would always encourage you to set your Bibles down, to, to step away from everybody and seek God in prayer. And so I want to do that this morning. I, I just want to say a quick prayer to God, asking for his guidance, asking for uh, a clear understanding of his scripture. So if you'll bow with me for uh, just a second here. Father, we love you. Father, we thank you for the scriptures. Father, uh, we just pray that you share with us the true meaning behind these words. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. And so upon upon an initial glance when taking a look at uh, these two verses, to me, it appeared to suggest that God hand-selects people to receive his ultimate inheritance, and that is the kingdom. If you go along with that line of thought, that would also suggest that those who uh, God does not hand-select, they do not receive the inheritance. They, They will not partake in God's coming kingdom. And this is the concept of predestination. Some of you guys uh, may be familiar with that. Uh, it's a Calvinistic thought. We, we, we just barely hinted at this uh, last week, but predestination is a Calvinistic theology uh, which suggests that before the foundation of the world, God chose who would be saved and who would not. And most of the support uh, for uh, this theology comes from five separate passages uh, that use the word predestined. And two of those occasions are actually found in Ephesians chapter 1. We read one uh, from last week in verse 5, and we read the the second of five occasions here in verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 1. In every occurrence, the the original Greek word is prorizo, and that means to uh, limit in advance or predetermine. And now this idea that God hand selects uh, a group of people that are going to partake in God's kingdom, and then in other words, he hand selects a group of people that are not going to partake in uh, his kingdom, that doesn't necessarily fit with the theology uh, that I compose from the whole of the scriptures. We, we, we can never take one piece of scripture and take it out of context and disregard the rest of the scripture. There are 66 books that work cohesively. They are inspired by God. They are all true. 
Every single word found in the scriptures is true, the holy word, the living and active word. And so to me, this one verse upon an initial glance, it doesn't really seem to agree with the theology that I seem to understand from the rest of the scriptures. Not theology uh, that, that church fathers believe, not theology that, that my teachers thought, but the theology that I get from the scriptures alone. And that's the theology that we all need to draw from, uh, a study of God that's based solely on the scriptures. Not what I say, not what your Sunday school teachers say, not what uh, people way smarter than me say, solely on the scriptures alone. And so to me, that this presents an issue. And, and so this is where I spent uh, about two, uh, close to two hours studying uh, just this uh, one verse here. And upon further examination, uh, this passage to me made a whole lot more sense once we identify who the we is. So I'll read it again. In verse 11, it says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of his will, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. And so who exactly is the we in this passage? Well, there's a couple things that we know about the we. Number one, the we has obtained an inheritance. Number two, the we has uh, been predestined according to God's will. And number three, we also know that the we were the first ones to hope in Christ. And so since Paul is the one writing this letter, he has to fit in this group as well. And thinking about the, these three uh, conditions about this we and that Paul has to fit in with this group, there, there's one group of people that would fit with each of these, different, these three different details. And I think that, that it is the Jews. I think he's talking about the Jewish Christians. Because to me, when I initially read this, I read it as me, as a saint of Christ, that, that we have been predestined according to the, the purpose of him. Uh, but, but let me uh, reason with you guys here for a minute. One, the Jews, they, they have obtained an inheritance. In the beginning, in Genesis chapter 12, God promised to Abraham and his followers, the Jews, that they would receive an inheritance. And that inheritance uh, was the promised land. And that eventually they, they, would, they would live in this promised land. They'd live in the kingdom forever. Number two, the Israelites, the Jews, they very well could have been predestined according to God's will. It makes a whole lot more sense to me that God predestined the Israelites to possess the promised land rather than God predetermined who is saved and who is not. And then number three, the Israelites were the first to put their hope in the Messiah, in the Christ. As the Old Testament, the scriptures of the Jews, it is flooded with promise, uh, promises of the Messiah, of the Christ to come. And so they were the first ones in all of the world who were to put their hope in Christ Jesus. And lo and behold, verse 12 says, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And so all of a sudden, when I'm reading through this, when I'm digesting these two verses, it makes a whole lot more sense to me when we clearly identify who the we is there in verse 11. As Paul, I don't think he's grouping the saints at Ephesus in this we. I don't think he's grouping us in this category as well. As again, personally, I struggle with this and the theology that I come with because again, I, I, 
I'm uncomfortable saying that God predestines those who are going to be saved and those who are not going to be saved. But I encourage you guys to look into this for yourselves, to study the scriptures yourselves and see what sort of theology that you come up with in the scriptures. I'm just preaching to you guys uh, the, the, the word that I believe the Father has laid on my heart. And so again, when we, when we talk about uh, the inheritance here in verse 11, originally I read that as the kingdom, but I think Peter Paul is talking about the promised land. As the Jews, they received that uh, promised land, that they received that inheritance from God and very well could have been predestined according to the purpose of God. So thank you for, for bearing with me there. We, we went pretty uh, deep there. If we continue in verses 13 and 14, Paul writes, and him, you also. So here in verses 11, 11 and 12, Paul was talking about we, and, and which I believe we, we can read that to be the Jewish Christians. And now Paul is saying, and him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And so again, I, I, I am puzzled a bit with these uh, couple verses as well uh, upon an initial glance. First, in verse 13, again, we're talking about a you. And there uh, in the original Greek, that is a plural second person. And so my wife and a lot of our friends down in South Carolina, they like to say, Y'all. How many of you guys say y'all? Raise your hand, uh, high and proud. Yeah, yeah, it's you guys. It's not y'all. But uh, if you're Jamie and all those other people like to say y'all, that, that's what you could read it as. That in him, y'all also, when y'all heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in. Yeah, I know it doesn't sound natural when I say uh, y'all. Uh, but, but Paul is talking about a group of people, even though he's just saying you. And I believe that group of people is the saints at Ephesus, the people that he addressed this letter to. And I think we fit in with that group. I think we fit in uh, with the saints at Ephesus, that we are Gentile believers. Basically, we, we are not Jewish believers. We're not from the family of Abraham, but we came to a faith and we are invited into that family. We are invited into the family of God. And so really in verses 13 uh, and, and forward, we can read that as we. And Christ, we also, when we heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and believed in him, we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So when the saints at Ephesus hear this gospel message, when we hear this gospel message and believe in Christ, then guess what? You and I, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. A seal is, in ancient times, a seal was impressed on a document, and that gives undoubted validity of what is inside and also provides protection for the document inside. And in the same exact sense, when we hear the gospel message and we believe in Christ, then we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. We know that it is from God through Christ Jesus. And we know that this salvation is protected. It's protected by the Holy Spirit. All we have to do is keep up our end of the deal. 
and our end of the deal is just accepting that free gift of eternal life. And how do we accept that free gift of eternal life? We accept it through our faith. For it is by faith you have been saved. Or it's for by grace you have been saved through faith. Excuse me. Uh, for it's by grace you have been saved through your faith. That is how we accept this free gift of salvation. So all we have to do is keep up our end of the deal. And if we keep up our end of the deal with a living and active faith, then no one and nothing can take away your salvation. People may come and try and succeed in stealing your keys. How many of you guys have had your keys stolen? Or maybe your wallet or phone. Anybody here had any of these things stolen from you? Yeah, they, they may attempt that and they may succeed in that. They may, uh, I hope nobody uh, has had a successful attempt uh, against you in stealing your car. Or some people, they, they have maybe uh, all the goods from their home stolen from them. Or yet worse, we hear of stories uh, of people actually stealing other people's children. I mean, that's terrible. I mean, the, 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 these children that we have guarded under our protection. And so people may take all of that. They may take all the possessions that we have here on earth, but the one thing that nobody or no thing can take from you is your salvation. And that's because we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. And there's no power greater than God's through his Holy Spirit that, that, that's passed on to us through God and also through his son, Jesus Christ. You have been sealed. Nobody can take that away from you. And that is so, so beautiful. They may take your very life, but they cannot take your salvation because we serve a good, good God. Can I get an amen? And so we today, in the 21st century, we, we have not received our reward in full yet. We, we, we are not living in the fullness of the kingdom of God. I think uh, Jesus, you know, sometimes when talking about the kingdom, he, he uses it in the present tense. Because I think the church today is, is sort of like a preview uh, of the future kingdom. But we have not received our reward, our reward in full yet. But we don't have to fret about that. Because that has been sealed with the Holy Spirit, and nobody and no thing can take that away from us as long as we keep up our end of the deal. And so we talk about this Holy Spirit in verse 13. And him, we were sealed with the promised spirit. And verse 14 reads, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it? Raise your hand if in verse 14, if you're reading in your Bibles, if the first word uh, read there is who? Raise your hand. That's uh, the, the, the majority of people here, the majority of those who, who are uh, reading uh, in their own uh, Bibles. Uh, most translations uh, read who. Who is the guarantee? The Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance? However, there are a handful of a handful that read which. Is anybody reading in their Bibles and the first uh, word that they read there in verse 14 is which? Nobody, all right. Uh, the, the, the most well-known uh, translation that does this is the King James Version. Uh, not necessarily my favorite version, uh, but they nail it here. Uh, and, and the Greek word there is os, and, and that is in the singular neuter form, which reads o. And without getting too much into uh, the technicalities of it, that pronoun there, uh, or that word there in, in verse 14, that can be read as which or who. It can be read both 
ways. As again, the Greek doesn't perfectly translate to the English. No languages perfectly translate from one uh, language to the other. And so there, verse 14 can be read as which or who, and it's basically up to the translators. What, what do they think is a more accurate representation of what Paul here is saying? A lot of translate, uh, translations of the Bible will seek to make uh, the Holy Spirit as a third person uh, by using pronouns like who. But again, I want to remind you, when everybody makes that point, remind you that just as well be read as which. And so we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, which is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. We got into a lot of technicalities. Uh, we're, we're not going to get too much into technicalities. Don't worry if, that's some, if you're someone who doesn't uh, enjoy that as much. But if we continue here in verse uh, 15, Paul writes to the saints at Ephesus, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith and the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So verse 15, Paul says that I've heard, I've heard of your faith, guys, all the way from, from uh, prison in, in Rome, which would be uh, hundreds, if not a thousand miles away. Paul says, I have heard of your faith. And on top of the faith that I've heard, I've heard of your love toward all the saints as well. As faith and acts of love, they speak volumes. They can be heard from hundreds and thousands of miles away. They absolutely speak volumes. And people will take note of people who have both faith and love. And so we as saints, as saints of the Most High God, we need to exhibit faith. Faith is ultimately how we accept the free gift of salvation. At the same time, we need to express love in our life, the most important commandment according to the words of Jesus Christ. And people should naturally take notice of your faith, and they should naturally take notice of your love. If not, maybe something is amiss. They should be able to see that your life looks different from the rest of the world, that you are truly sanctified, that you are set apart, that you are a saint of God. And this was the case for the saints at Ephesus. And because of this, Paul gave thanks for them. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. In verses 18 and 19, Paul continues, and he writes, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? Paul here, he's been using a, a, a lot of pronouns, a lot of he, a lot of hens, a lot of we's and us's. Um, and and it, it can be confusing. Uh, but here, Paul uh, he kind of switches over in talking about the him or the he and talking about God. Having the eyes of your height hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he, God, has called you. What are the riches of his, God's, glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his, God's, power toward us 
to believe. And now here, Paul, he makes a condition on the us. I don't think the us is the Jewish Christians anymore like it was in verse 11. Rather, he says us is simply those who believe. So that's you and I. Paul here, he groups all of the Christians together, all of us who believe according to the working of his great might. And so here, Paul asks that, uh, pleads that the, the eyes of our heart shall be opened up to the hope of the glorious inheritance that we have. And the inheritance that we have is the kingdom. And so Paul is asking that people's eyes and their hearts be opened up to the kingdom. And I am overjoyed. I praise God because today in the 21st century, more and more people's eyes are being opened to the ultimate inheritance that is talked about in the scriptures. More and more Christian circles are talking about the kingdom of God. And I absolutely love that because that is our ultimate hope as Christians, the kingdom of God on earth where everything wrong with this world will be made right. And Paul pleads that the eyes of our heart should be opened up to this, open up to the hope of his kingdom. So open up your eyes to this hope that we have. Hopefully, if, if you've been here long enough, your, your eye, the eyes of your heart have been opened to this inheritance that we have. Because I love talking about the ultimate inheritance that we have, the ultimate reward that we have as Christians, the kingdom of God. And so Paul says that uh, we see that uh, God demonstrates his immeasurable power toward us who believe. And with that same exact power that he shows us, we read in verse 20 that he worked in Christ, that same power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. As God raised Jesus from the grave. Hallelujah, praise God, amen. Can I get an amen, church? Death cannot hold Christ Jesus. The funny thing is the enemies thought they had won. They thought they had won when Jesus was buried in the grave. But let me tell you, they were so foolish because he was truly the son of the God, the Roman centurion. He recognized this guy. He truly was the son of God. And with God's beloved son, God raised Jesus from the grave as God granted Jesus victory over death. As on the third day, God rose Jesus from the grave as Jesus defeated death once and for all. And I cannot wait. One day we are going to defeat death once and for all, church. That's going to be a glorious, magnificent day. But about 2,000 years ago, that's exactly what Christ Jesus did as God raised him from the dead, and he defeated death once and for all. And so for 40 days after God granted Jesus victory over death, Jesus, he, he was sharing the message of the kingdom of God. And at the end of those 40 days, Jesus ascended to heaven. And currently, as we speak, Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. Wherever heaven is, whether that's way up in the sky or in some other dimension, I don't know. But wherever heaven is, we know that God, he is seated on that throne. At the right hand of God is sitting his beloved son, Christ Jesus. And all of the heavenly hosts surrounding them, singing the praise of their glory 
and might. And the angels there who, who were witnesses to Jesus ascending to heaven, he told his disciples and those who were there at the ascension that this man, Jesus, he's going to return in the same way that he ascended. So he's sitting at the right hand of God, but one day he's coming back. He's descending from heaven to earth to establish God's kingdom. And we can read about this process. In verse 21, Paul writes, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. That's he seated Jesus in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. There, there is a lot of chaos in our world today. You, you turn on the news for five minutes and you recognize the, the heartbreak and the chaos taking place in the world today. There are a lot of evil people in the world that we are living in. But let me tell you, God placed Jesus above every single rule. God placed Jesus above every single authority. God placed Jesus above every single power. And God raised Jesus above every single dominion and above every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Has God placed Jesus above the Roman government? God placed Jesus above the American government and above the Russian government and above the Chinese government. None of them have power over our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God placed Jesus above you. And he placed Jesus above your family as well. God placed Jesus above the devil and his followers. Praise God. God put everything under his feet as he put Christ at the head of the church. That is a magnificent savior that we worship as God has empowered our Lord and savior and we have better put our faith in him. If we don't, if we don't put our faith in God and his son, Jesus Christ, then God has handed that power and authority over to Jesus to judge us and cast us in the gates of hell. But if we do, if we do, church, I, I'm an optimist. I like to focus on the bright side. If we do, if we do put our faith in Christ Jesus, then God has handed Jesus the power and authority to cast us into the gates of the kingdom. Amen. That is the hope. That is the inheritance that we have as Christians. That's the inheritance if we live like a saint. And so we have a job today, church. We need to live like a saint and express that living an active faith because God has handed all power and authority. And one day, everybody that you come into contact with, one day, Jesus is either going to cast them into the gates of hell or Jesus is going to cast them into the gates of the kingdom of God. And what a glorious day that will be. Let's pray, church. Father, we love you. Father, we thank you for this hope, this glorious hope that you have given to us, this hope of this inheritance that you provided for us that's only made possible through your son, Jesus. And so, Father, it's my prayer this morning that we together, we as a church, that we live like saints, that we live like your children, and our lives reflect that. And, Father, I pray that you, that you grant us all a living and an active faith 
a faith that accepts your free gift of salvation, Father. So God, I just thank you for this letter that Paul wrote to the saints at Ephesus. And Father, I pray that we are moved by these words. It's in Jesus' precious and holy and powerful name that we pray. Amen.